Kia ora, and welcome to Ven Presents, a series of conversations exploring the depth and richness of the Christian tradition between the host Sam Bloor and members of the Ven team and wider Ven community. Each short series of Ven Presents will expand on some of the themes that have emerged from Ven's work, including our programs, events, books, and our monthly publication, Common Ground. The topics will be wide-ranging, from exploring Christian faith and doctrine to engagement with wider culture, including family, business, the arts, education, music, and sport. Our hope is that through each series of Ben Presents, you'll be able to reimagine how the gospel might look in the communities and callings you find yourself in today. Now let's go ahead and listen to the latest episode. Hello and welcome to Venn Presents. My name's Sam Bloor and my guest today is my good friend and colleague, John Dennison. John, good to have you on. I'm not really sure, am I, am I your guest? Are you my, my guest? <laughs> We're going to tag team this, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm looking forward to the conversation, Sam. It's great to be here. Um, yeah. This is a two-part conversation on Sabbath and this is, the reason for this is kind of triple fold probably one one is just that this is something that people have been talking about a fair bit we'll get to that in a moment our yeah. culture's talking about it yeah. church communities are talking about sabbath and how to rest well yeah. um, but you guys have just put a new resource out tell us a bit about that because that's available yeah so we've just put together um a new book new magazine style uh book of uh scripture uh, reflection uh art photography, um, essays uh, by folk and interviews. It's a really rich, beautiful little resource. Um, And it's called How to Sabbath Well, uh, Learning God's Rhythms of Rest. And uh, in this, we're really wanting to speak to the contemporary need around, I think our sense is people are asking, how do we rest well? Yes. Now, look, I won't pretend I don't know that this is kind of a companion resource to The Good of Work, which yeah. came out, is that a couple of years ago now? The Good of yeah, Work came 20, out? 2021 it came out. Yeah. 21. Um, and so they're very similar in style. I've, I've seen it. I've got a copy. Uh, looking through it, again, it's beautifully done, beautifully laid yeah. out. And Andy Campbell's uh, fingerprints all over it. Exactly. So passed through the very skillful hands of, of Andy Campbell, a designer. Um, again, a magazine-style format book. Um, we're really... We're trying to create an imaginative space for people to fund their imagination and their um, their lived experience, to enrich their lived experience of work and good work. Um, good work done with God, through God, uh, for God. And really, when we came to the end of that project, we're like, oh, there's more we need to say. We need to talk about uh, putting work down. We need to talk about rest. Yes. And those two things we, we know from our life are, are tied together, work and rest. So these two books, um, yeah, they're designed to sit side by side on people's uh, shelves, on their coffee tables, and, and um, slightly different look and feel to this one. It's a lot more playful uh, in some respects, but um, yeah, the same kind of work, come and understand uh, God's vision for rest. I've got to say, in in reading through the articles in it, and some of them I was familiar with because they've appeared in other places, um, including in 
a sort of an interview that Yana and I had when we had a conversation right. around it. But going back to read that, you read differently when it's laid out like that. Uh, and I could make a, an immediate comparison because I've just been having to digest a number of articles for something completely unrelated. And I found myself really looking forward to turning the page rather than going, oh, how many pages of this do I have to slog through? And it really postures you differently. So I would say, if, you've, if you're listening to this and you've been put onto this, but you sort of consider yourself not a reader, I would say, well, take a look and see, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, we've paid a lot of attention to the look and feel and to the visual uh, life of the book, as it were, as, as well as the words. Um, I mean, it's, it's a whole nother podcast, Sam, around um, how we read. Okay, yes. But there's some really interesting research out there around um, the way we read online, on the way we read when oh, we're scrolling yes, digitally yes, and so on, yeah, yeah. Um, and how that shapes us. And actually, reading that will shape and shift our lives, um, print's still pretty good for that. It really um, is. It lodges in our lives in a different way. So that's why we've done print. Uh, also, our hunches, people are hungry for slow, beautiful, hands-on reading experiences um, that will, you know, be, be, uh, be with them, be blessing, yeah. We mentioned there were a few reasons. I think I said at least uh, three, and th- this resource has been one. We'll, we'll come to where culture's at at the moment, the, the questions maybe wider culture is, is asking. But perhaps another reason is this is something we've all been on a bit of a learning journey with here at Venn, and I'd yeah. sort of encourage you to take it easy on even you and I as we sort of share our stories, yeah. because even in going back and reading that interview I did with Yana be back a, a year ago, maybe 18 months, uh, we were in COVID time then, and I think I was actually finding it a bit easier to do some of that stuff when we were enforced a bit of a different shape, yeah. actually, that was forced upon us. Yeah. Uh, we had to work at home on making Sundays feel a little bit more different to the other days because sure. you were spending a lot more time in your own home. Exactly. And so I went back and read that and was like, oh, gee, I was, I was sounding a bit aspirational, or that seems like a bit of an old version of me. So just all that to say we're on a learning journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, across the Venn team, um, you've got a range of life situations and experiences. But we we attend to, uh, we try to attend to God, to attend to one another's lives, to attend to the work that we're called to. And that means um, talking about, hey, how do you rest when you, you and your flatmates, how do you do that? Um, how do you do that in your household? How do you do that with small children? How do you do that with teenagers now, some of us? Yes. Um, and those conversations have funded this. I want to say at the top, though, we are learning. <laughs> we, uh, I was going to say, as well as, a range, as well as, John, a range of uh, life stages, a range of personality types, too, I've got to say. It's true. And so you're, you're listening to two people who have perhaps suffered more than most might uh, in learning some of the lessons here. The Lord is patient and kind. And, um, yeah, yeah, we're, we are learning in... Um, so it, I, I think it's important just to sound that note at the top. It's We're not coming from a place where we've got it stitched up, but really from a place of longing and hunger that, yes. that each of us uh, at different in different ways, different seasons of our lives have come up against points where we're like, oh, I, I actually need a, a rhythm of rest. I need to, a better way of resting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I need to understand both myself, but also what God's inviting me into. I need a thick account of, of rest. So, mm. um, and we're joining a long line of people who have been doing this over 
at least if we think of names that we're familiar with mm. uh, a couple of generations now. Uh, think of people like um, Walter Brueggemann, Eugene Peterson, Marva yeah. Dawn, yeah. older folk. You're going to hear some of their quotes come through. Mm. Uh, Abraham Herschel, mm. uh, another person there who, you know, they're, they're older. They're, they're, they're sort of like older than us, at, at least our parents' age, if not older. Yeah. And then people in more more recent times, some of the people that you've you've drawn on, I think of the, the John Mark Comers and others who have been... Yeah, yeah. So John Mark Comer, his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, and um, now this project he has um, with some others called Practicing the Way, and, and one of those practices of Jesus that they take up is Sabbath. Yes. So we're aware, you know, we, we're, we're joining a conversation that's already live. It's been running for a few generations. If we look at post-World War II conversation, um, uh, around uh, the the English speaking world, um, this is yeah something that we're we're joining with. And I I think if there's a more like an an uptick of interest, it's at least as evident in wider culture as it is within the the church. So to finally get to that piece, sort of actually one of our reasons for stepping into this is that I think if you were to wander through, you know, the warehouse or, or Kmart or anywhere. Almost half of those kind of framed, uh, I want to say verses that you see, they're not. They're little maxims or little kind of truths they're captured beautiful. in a thing. That, almost half of them would be about sort of taking it easy, doing this because you, you deserve it, some sort of um, reflection on this. It's, it's everywhere you look. There's this invitation into some form of rest, although I suspect, and I know from your article, much of what we're going to say is going to critique that aspect of it, but what, in what ways is there some truth in what's being observed? Here? I mean, um, a, a couple of things come to mind. One's an anecdote I, I draw on in, in an essay that's in, in this book, How to Sabbath Well. Um, I was a university chaplain for a number of years and remember this conversation with a, a colleague from counselling service and he said, our oh, students have come to us saying they feel guilty and my ears prick up because I'm like, oh, guilt. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a word I've heard students refer to in a while. And he yeah. said, yeah, they, they feel guilty that they're not working. Um, right. Yes. And, uh, you know, we sat there with this question, this idea that understanding that students had internalized this imperative to produce all the time. Yes. Uh, and there's a, flip, there's a limit to that. There's a flip side to that. And so, you know, <clears throat> I've also noticed, in addition to this, some of the language shift. So in the last 10 years, people have started to talk more and more about capacity mm -hmm. an awareness of our limits. And there's some really good things about that. But it also can fuel a sort of battery model of being a human being where I, I get my inputs and I recharge. Mm -hmm. I, I get a, a capacity mm. and then I expend that. It's very much an input-output productivity model yes. um, where the focus becomes on maximizing my capacity. So I rest in order to work and so on. Um, so this is not a straightforward question for us, the question of rest, because it taps into some really deep uh, currents, really deep beliefs around why we're here, what the good life entails, uh, what good work looks like. Yes. Um, and we need to understand those, understand the water we're swimming in, but there's a, 
there's more to rest in terms of the Christian vision of rest. There's so much more. Yeah. And we need to look into that as well. You know, dive into that. Can I just share one example I recall of that? Maybe the the way that productivity can, I think, get a little bit out of whack was hearing a story, and I can't remember where, where I heard it from, uh, whether I read it somewhere or actually whether it was sort of through friends of friends. But a woman just making the observation that she she never felt more productive than when she got pregnant for the first time. So her and her husband decided to start family. She was still working, but she said, "I was just I was I was working uh, right 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 through my pregnancy." But it's knowing even on my unproductive days, I was making a person at the same time. Like you know, I sort of had these wow. <laughs> two projects going on right. that even even on a bad day, I could just say, "Well, at least I, I I'm growing someone uh, and, and and making a new person at the same time." I'm like. Wow, we might have got that just a little bit back to front on a number of levels, like yeah. the, um, the the sort of the doctor and the pastor and me wants to kind of maybe look at the creation of new life slightly more wondrously than than a project I'm working on. <laughs> but um, yeah, it it can be it can be right. pernicious, eh? It can sneak up on us. It can come through in lots of ways. And I know we'll unpack that as we start diving into your essay. So maybe that's a, a good yeah. place to start. If we sort of say we're going to do this in, in two movements, two parts, we're going to be in this conversation unpacking uh, a biblical understanding of Sabbath mm. and actually starting with that question, like what is it? If it's different to this idea of just rest or a life balance, finding a perfect you know, um, balance between inputs and outputs or what yeah. te- you know, whenever I hear of life balance, I just think of a sort of a seesaw, just sort of teetering. Oh. If one little thing changes, you know, it's precarious. A, uh, we'll, we might talk about balance. Nobody breathe. So that'll be part one. What is the Sabbath? Mm. And then part two will be, we'll come back and have a, a, a conversation yeah. later on. Okay. Uh, how do we learn to, to Sabbath well? And of course, this is coming out of the resource uh, named that way, how to Sabbath well, mm. learning God's rhythms of rest. Mm. So do you want to maybe kick us off into into part one? Uh, what is Sabbath? I've I've read the essay um, that you have early on in in that resource, um, and it's just wonderful, John. Um, but maybe sort of start st- start by um, maybe framing it up the way the way you do in the article. What's the the sort of the opening? Uh, gambit or the opening move? What's the, yeah. the opening observation? Sure. So the essay is called uh, Where Time Stands Open. And I'll, I'll circle around to that title. But where I begin is, is really where we've begun with the question of work and our experience of work. Um, through the lens of Israel's experience of work and um, if you go to our book, The Good of Work, um, there's a whole uh, uh, part of that book where we're unpacking, hey, what happens to work in the wake of the fall? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is the effect of sin and evil on this gift, this good thing? To work is a good thing. And actually, the first worker we see in Scripture is the Lord God. God is depicted first as, as a worker, as a maker. Um, but by the time we get to Israel's uh, beginnings, um, through the patriarchs and then uh, they're in Egypt. Um, work has taken on a very particular character that this gift of God has become a means of oppression. Mm. And so the ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, uh, a fearful ruler who doesn't remember the history of the way that Joseph was part of God's 
rescue, actually, of Egypt in the time of famine. He's forgotten their history. And the Israelites becoming numerous. And so work becomes a means of controlling the Israelites and um, taking the gift of life that's, that's them and harnessing it to his project, which is to uh, make a name for himself and uh, to make it clear his, his divine character. Um, and God delivers them from Egypt. We know the story, the Exodus. Um, God leads them out with Moses through the Red Sea into um, a time in the desert where they're living from God. Uh, they're being sustained by God. Uh, and in the midst of that, we get the first Sabbath commands. Um, so I wonder if we come to that, the, the command. Can we um, perhaps come to the command in Deuteronomy 5? Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Would you so, mind reading? Yeah, yeah, sure thing. So it's Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord uh, your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Hmm. So the rationale that's given in this giving of the law um, is remember God has rescued you. Hmm. Remember who God is. Who is this God you're dealing with? Hmm. He's the one who rescues hmm. you from oppression. Um, and to remember this history, that he, is, he has done this so that you can uh, flourish. Um, he's done that so you can um, no longer, your work is no longer harnessed to some project of an oppressor. Your work is part of your freedom, your life with God. Mm. And um, you're to remember that you live from God's gracious provision. And Israel at the time, they know this. They're living from manners coming from heaven. They're being led. By God, their light is their life is illuminated by the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire at night, and their whole life is revolving around these rhythms of worship. And so, the Sabbath becomes a, a practice of freedom for life with God. Mm. It's to come back to this history, to come back to this moment where Israel was, in a sense, formed and drawn out and made a people. Mm. Um, this moment where God revealed himself as a rescuer. And it it gets very practical. It comes out in that passage that you read. Uh, so what are we talking about? We're talking about, oh, it's you. It's also your household. It's your children. It's, um, it, it's people who are visiting with you. Yes. It's your animals. And, and actually this, if you read through the Mosaic Lord, um, there are other laws that are given where the, the Sabbath rhythm, the cycle of sevens, is extended to the land. Yes. Um, so fields are, are given a Sabbath every seventh year. Um, so what is a remembering is actually unfolds in a very practical way, a way of life that's characterized by gift, God's gift, who God is, 
God's provision, and also a life of freedom. They're not running after and grasping after um, needing to secure life for themselves. They can rest secure in who God is. Yes. And that overflows in the life of the local economy. Uh, so you can imagine the implications of this. Uh, and there are some stunning examples in the Christian tradition of how people have interpreted this in terms of employment, um, how you treat your employees, mm, mm. Um, when you open your shop front, um, what this might mean for public amenities and recreation, what this might mean for um, how you farm, how you uh, draw on the, the, the fertility of the land, and but also give the wisdom of giving the land a, a breather as well. So uh, it's a pretty profound um, thing this this Sabbath. I really like that idea of of the, that liberating kind of movement. You know, you've you've been freed from that. You know, yeah. I've brought you out from Egypt. I've brought uh, you out from under that. You're not. I think Walter Brueggemann puts it this way. You know, you're not little pharaohs anymore. You're you're not having to make this happen by the the sweat of your brow in the same way. Mm. Um, now we 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 sweat. We we do all of that thing, but it. It's there's a goodness of God. There's a provision. We see it with the the manner that's given and other things that the Lord even gives you double portion for that to get you through. You've been liberated yep. from under that. Yep. And again, Brueggemann's uh, the title of his, his book. You know, Sabbath is resistance. We still we still need that, and we'll come to some of this when we come to how to do it in the second session, and we might mm. touch on it even in the rest of our conversation now. Mm. But um, that's that that's a good thing to be reminded of. That 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 wider culture is always right there tempting you to to play by its rules to to dance to the beat of its drum and to do that with with kind of no there's no in, there's no end zone there's no no safe place you can run to there it's, there's a, a tyrannizing kind of spiral or cycle you get caught up in and so that's really good to remember but what i love about your article john is that you go that's a that's a really great way of framing but but it's kind of not enough there's a there's a mm. deeper layer to, to it even than that we we need to go back upstream yeah. from exodus yeah uh, to to really see this in its fullness and its glory so take us there yeah i mean um what leads us into this is is recognizing that the first time the sabbath command is given it's it's not framed by this work of liberation and rescue it's framed by um a prior part of the story actually the beginning of the story it's framed by uh, God's creating of the heavens and the earth. Um, and one of the reasons that we need to go there, I think, is while my exhaustion might lead me into Sabbath keeping, it might get me curious about it, um, this isn't working for me, you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I'll probably struggle to stay there Won't if, keep if there. my reason yeah. Is, yeah. is to escape from, um, you know, the tyranny of work. I, I need a fuller vision. I need to know that this um, connects with the whole of my life. Um, I mean, just saying that about exhaustion, uh, is it you, you quote in your essay at one point from George Herbert, if, if, if goodness lead him not, yet weariness may toss him to my breast. So God's sort of going, if it's going to take weariness and exhaustion to get you at least trying this out, then I'll, then I'll take it, I guess. Oh, <laughs> like, God, yeah, yeah, God's yeah, yeah. gift. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's good like that. He'll sort of, um, 
use whatever it takes to give us a taste of it. But if we're if we're not listening and we're not prepared to change, then weariness can't just be the continual uh, prompt, I guess, or catalyst. No, no, it would just be in a boom and bust cycle, right? Um, this. So let's go. Let's go where scripture goes. Let's explore that. Sabbath has to do with the questions. Uh, where are we? What kind of world do we live in? What does it mean to live well in time? These are the questions actually that that Sabbath throws up. Um, how do I use time well? And mm. These sorts of things. And it, it leads us into uh, creation. This is the, the first Sabbath command is explained in this way. For, why should I keep the Sabbath? For in the six days, in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy, made it set apart. Mm. Um, this command is sending us back right back to the beginning uh, where God makes the heavens and the earth. The first thing that God creates before he creates the heavenly bodies, the sun, moon, stars, he separates the light from the darkness. And he calls the, the light day and the dark night. Mm. And with this, there's a motion that's set up in terms of that Genesis creation poem in Genesis 1. There's a movement that's set up. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. It's almost like you see the whole thing start to turn. The first thing that's made is time. And time is a fundamental aspect of creation. All, all that follows is subject to time. So it's built into the deep architecture of creation. And that pattern is evening, is morning, uh, is repeated in terms mm -hmm. of the structure of, yes. of that poem in Genesis 1. And it culminates in the seventh day. When we get to the seventh day, there isn't, there was evening, there was morning. It's the seventh day that the Lord completes his work and he rests. Mm. Um, the folk at Bible Project um, bring this up really well. I really recommend watching their little video on the Sabbath, um, listening to the, they've got a whole run of their podcast on, on Sabbath and following this as a theme through scripture. It's actually one of the great themes okay, uh, yes. beginning to end through scripture. Yes. And what they bring out is seven uh, is, a, is a number for Hebrew imagination of completeness. So the seventh day in Genesis, this day where God doesn't make, he, he, he rests, mm. uh, is a day of completion, mm. a day of fullness, a day that's full of God's presence and creation resting um, you know, is before God. Um, it's a day of fullness. God doesn't rest because he's exhausted um, yes. or because or he lacks. He's not, he's not sweating uh, when he makes stuff. He's, he's not fried at the end of this. There's this delight in completeness. That's the implication. Yes. So the first frame for Sabbath um, the first frame for, for rest that Israel is given is this story that culminates in God's resting. 
so Sabbath is actually not something that, just a pattern that Israel are called to imitate. It's a happening in the life of God uh, that is um, established within time. It's established within creation. Where time comes to this point of completeness at, mm. at the beginning. Um, and I suppose then we need to ask, what, what does this mean? How do we, what does this mean for how we understand the Sabbath? The Sabbath is a day of fullness. It's a day of completion. It's a day characterized by wonder where we're invited as it were to go and stand with the Lord God, or sit down with him and look at creation. Look back at this rhythm. Look, look and see what has been made. And it's a day full of God's, the knowledge of God's love. Uh, a day charged with wonder at who God is. And Israel's called, the first time they're given this, command to to Sabbath, to, to cease. That's what Shabbat means. Mm. Stop. The stopping. Uh, the first time it's given is is this invitation to share in the delight that God has at the beginning there. Mm. Um, yeah. I think it's Wayne Muller who says in his book on Sabbath, we don't stop because all of our work is done. There's a completeness to God, but we stop because it's time to stop. And I quite like that. There's an almost a commandment in the in the naming. Yeah. So it's a there's a stop sign there. Yeah. I mean, we might talk more about this when we come to the practice. How, how do we do this? Yeah. Um, one of the points Abraham Heschel makes is that the first thing that's named as holy in the story of Scripture is not a a place, um, which is what you might expect looking at the world's religions that. God is in a particular place and you go to that place to get what you need from the God or to honor the God. The first thing that's, that's named in Scripture as holy is a day. Yes. In other words, it is a, a period of time. And because time is fundamental to all of creation, the, the objectivity of, of this day of ceasing is, is very clear. Um, now we'll talk about how you live into that, but the, the, the Genesis account, which culminates in Sabbath, um, really establishes this day of ceasing, this day f of fullness as something that arches over the whole of creation. And as we come to Jesus and think about Jesus and the Sabbath, um, th there's a doubling down on, on that, yeah. Yes, we'll pick up on that in a moment, John, because mm. I think you were mentioning the Bible Project, talking about this being a major theme that goes on through, and, and yes. Jesus has a lot to say about about Sabbath. There are a couple of really quite key moments, interactions that we're going to unpack in a moment. But just in terms of it being a major theme, I think one of the things that has struck me, even in the few days of preparing for this and going back over this material, uh, teaching on, on spiritual disciplines and practices, which I've done on the Venn Fellowship for a number of years. I've done that with Olivia Whitney. We've, we've um, sort of co-taught that. Mm. But just being struck again that some of the practices can feel a little bit like, oh, am I doing a little bit of that? Or it's time I picked up a bit more of that. I think, some, think of the conversations I've sometimes had with people over, say, fasting, for example. Oh, I don't do much of that. But what struck me about this is this is really going to something re foundational fundamental in a way that you might argue some of the other practices in, in spiritual disciplines uh, historically don't. Now, I'd say for all of them, they actually point to things much bigger than the actual 
practicing of them. There, there's an embodiedness to 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 all of them that has uh, got some deeper realities going on. But this one really, there's there's an ontological aspect to this that is. Uh, I, I think if we're going to breach this and we're going to continue violating this, we've got to expect some cracks to show. Yeah, is is a is a wonderful um, moment in Leviticus where the Lord says, "Wherever you are, wherever you live, it's a Sabbath. Mm. Whether you're on holiday or whether you're in a season of intense work, mm. um, the sun goes down. It's evening." It's the Sabbath. <laughs> and you you might not have planned it in your diary. You might not have prepared for it. Um, you certainly didn't make it happen. It, it's upon you. Um, and s- some of the gifts, there are other gifts that come with Sabbath. Some of the, is it helps us to live in time. Um, you know, I roll over in the morning at 6.30. I didn't plan that. I didn't make that happen. It's upon me. It's morning. Um, and so it, it sort of does a, a wonderful reset on what I think I'm about when I wake up in the morning. I've got the story of I'm going to do stuff. Actually, the Lord's been at work. And, um, and it, I think at one point Eugene Peterson in one of his writings says, you know, I get to be in on it. Yes. I get I get to join with him. Now, I'm talking about the working week. The Sabbath, though, prepares us for that. It, um, the sun goes down, according to the traditional way of thinking of the Sabbath. The sun goes down Friday night, Saturday night, whenever you keep it. Um, it's the Sabbath. And um, so it's good. It's rest. Yeah. Okay, John, so we, we come to Jesus and we will touch on some of the distortions that were at play in his day because some of them are the same as the distortions we might currently be facing. Some of them, uh, w- there's a real ring of familiarity to it. Some, some of them are a bit different. There's probably a legalism that was being followed in his day that uh, I don't look around and see uh, too much of that going on. And again, we'll, we'll unpack some of that. But he really does reframe Sabbath in lots of ways, and he reframes it around himself. Yes. So take us into that sort of conversation. Yeah. The, the pattern that we see in Israel's story, uh, Sabbath is a, a, a call to remember God as creator. Sabbath is full of the knowledge of God's redemption. That pattern, creation, redemption, characterizes how Jesus uh, takes up the Sabbath and restores the Sabbath. And he, much of uh, the restoration work he's doing, if you like, is to set Sabbath within this large story again and to, to lift it out of um, this human work that he was confronting in his day, particularly among the Pharisees, of um, Sabbath becoming a way of justifying ourselves before God or forcing God's arm uh, to to come and do what we hope he'll do. Um, Jesus begins his ministry in the synagogue at Capernaum on the Sabbath day by declaring 
um, the year of the Lord's favor. Um, he does that on a, on a day of fullness and completion. And he's declaring that the fullness that the Sabbath points to is coming. The, to use his language, the kingdom of God uh, is at hand. And uh, the outworking of this, he outworks this in ways that are really resonant with Israel's history. So works of rescue, people are healed, people are delivered. Um, that he does this on the Sabbath. This is a day of rescue, um, a day of liberation, uh, a day when uh, God's character is evident, God's purpose to restore all things to their completeness and to bring them into the fullness that God has for them. Mm. Um, he's restoring that. So he heals on the Sabbath, much to the chagrin of, of um, his opponents. And they don't capture what's happening here. They, they say, oh, he, he's working. Mm. Actually, he is. this is the right day for God's liberation. He also understands the Sabbath as a day of creation coming to its fullness. Creation particularly gathered up around his own person. And in Jesus, the Christian tradition would say, Jesus is the, the truly human one who walks this life of unbroken trust with God. Mm. He is uh, worthy. He is a king. He is a priest. Um, and there's a story in the Gospels that, that uh, draws this out. He's in the fields on the Sabbath mm. with his disciples. Um, yeah. And I love this story partly because um, my brother-in-law, Mehmet, is from eastern uh, Turkey. And um, he grew up very close to the soil and, and he knows these, this story would resonate with him, I know. They're walking through the grain fields and they, they pick he and Jesus and his disciples begin to pick the grain. Yes. And they, they rub it in their hands to um, separate the, the wheat and the chaff, get the, the kernel out of the, the husks so you can eat it. Um, and the Pharisees see this and challenge him. Jesus' response is, is so interesting. Um, he sends us back to an episode in Israel's history an episode in the middle of a crisis, a crisis over God's reign and rule, a crisis around the King David mm. and a crisis in his kingdom. And David's on the run and he and his men are hungry. And David breaks the law. He goes into the temple and he takes up the bread of the presence, which was um, a, a, an offering that was made in the temple, the work of human hands that was offered up to God and it was a, a symbol of God's provision. Um, he takes that up mm. and distributes it to his men. He eats it. And um, Jesus claims the story as almost anticipating him. He is a not yet uh, enthroned king who's come to Israel in time of crisis. And he, he says, I've walked into the temple. What's the temple? Well, in this case, the creation, mm. and in particular, filled with God's presence. Yes, God's uh, cosmic temple. Yeah. He's yeah. created and then sort of placed us in. 
place does say, and in the Matthew account, he says, one greater than the temple is here. He's referring to himself. Yes. So he's saying, in God's presence. But he's also taking up um, this, this priestly work of offering up creation to God in praise, of taking up the stuff of the earth, offering it to God in praise, um, to the glory of God. Um, it also sustains us. Um, and his, his sort of summation is to say, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So this figure, the Son of Man, is way has of talking about himself. God who's present with his people. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But also this one who is the, the human being restored. He's a, he's a king in creation. He's a priest in creation, offering creation up to God. All of these things are gathering together um, creation's life with God. And the Sabbath is the frame that he puts around that. I think what, what we can then, um, we then need to look at Jesus' life, not just his ministry, but how this plays out in his life, particularly his death and his resurrection. Um, Jesus uh, dies um, and his body is laid in the tomb on the day of preparation. His body rests in the tomb on the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Um, and almost to double down on that, you know, Jesus in John's gospel um, takes up the words of Genesis uh, 1 to describe uh, uh, his death. The Lord God, when he'd finished making the heavens and the earth, he rested. And Jesus says, Father, I've completed the work. I've finished the work that you gave me to do. He's echoing Genesis. God finishes his work. Mm. What follows? He rests. Jesus' body rests in the tomb on the Sabbath. It's a day of fullness. It's a day of God's purpose completed, of work completed. The story only deepens on the first day of the week, um, we're told, the women go to the tomb uh, to, to anoint his body and so on. On the first day of the week. It's the first day of the week, as it were, the eighth day, a day that's never happened before, mm. um, that Jesus is raised from the dead. Uh, and that's where you get the Christian practice gradually as, as the church grew throughout the Greco-Roman Empire. The Christian practice of observing a day of rest, uh, not on the Jewish Sabbath, but on the Lord's Day. Um, in a way, it's gathering up all of the story of the Sabbath and f- um, amplifying it on this eighth day, this day of fullness. Um, and that, that um, fullness is really saying, in Jesus' resurrection... Creation finds its completion. Um, the book of Hebrews uh, talks about this, uses Sabbath to talk about Christian hope and to talk about um, the life to come, the restoration of all things. And the writer to the Hebrews says, there is a Sabbath rest. Strive to enter the Sabbath rest. There's a Sabbath rest that's coming. Mm. So Christians are people who know that God's fullness is already among us in the risen Jesus through the gifts of the Spirit. And they're living in anticipation 
of that fullness. Um, and is the pattern that you see play out in the life of the church? Arguably, the day in which um, the Spirit is given to the church, uh, the day of Pentecost, was the Sabbath day. It's not named as such, but um, it, it seems likely that that's the case, mm. this day of fullness. Um, how this plays out in the life of the church is pretty complex because um, you have a church that's, that's Jewish and it's Greco-Roman and um, there's obviously a whole conversation uh, that Paul is at the heart of around how you observe the law, what that has to do with following Jesus yes. um, and so on. And I'm no expert in this at all, I'm not an expert in any of this, but particularly this area, I, I just really want to go back to Bible Project podcast and say, hey, there's some really great detail there. Um, in, but in some ways, there's a reassurance, isn't there? Because I'm, I'm listening to you give that account almost kind of like spellbound, you know, sort of going, wow. And then kind of like <laughs> going, oh boy. But it's it it's still marked by the tension we currently live in, right? So in some ways, the fact that you're jumping to some complexities in the New Testament even, I'm like, phew. Uh, because sometimes yeah. you hear the glory of the eighth day, the glory of this inbreaking of the way it was always supposed to be, um, and how far away my lived reality feels from that. Sometimes uh, there's there's you know, maybe I'm being a uh, it's a little bit mean spirited of me to to almost no. be glad that the New Testament crew were struggling a little bit with it too, particularly some of the. Uh, just the 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 actual pragmatics of it. What days are going to fall on? Um, how how do we how do we work this out? I imagine some of them were just struggling on how 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 to do it well with this newfound freedom that that Christ has liberated us into, and yeah. um, how much of that to hold on to, and how much not to. Yeah. Uh, the expectations of others. I imagine all of this will have been at play in and behind some of the specific passages you're about to mention of, of Paul mentioning certain things on it. Yeah. Uh, but I imagine there was just the totality of of human emotion and experience and brokenness at play in it as well. Yeah, look, just the fact that we, uh, we are creatures in time, um, that the fullness of God's purpose, we haven't tasted that as of yet. Uh, even though we're to live in anticipation of it, we, we commonly talk of the now and the not yet. And um, our life and time is an intense uh, experience of that. I mean, uh, Christians have taken to heart uh, Jesus' response to the Pharisees. There's no, the Sabbath is no longer a means of justifying, it never was, a means of justifying ourselves before God. It's not a means of uh, forcing God's hand uh, to rescue us. Jesus says, the Sabbath is, is made for people. People aren't made for the Sabbath. Let's, let's get this right. Let's get the order right. Yes. What he doesn't say is, the Sabbath doesn't matter. That's right. Um, yeah. So if you look, say, at Paul's letter to the church at Rome, um, there's a tension in the church at Rome. Jews were kicked out of Rome by Claudius, and, uh, and, and so there was a sort of, probably a, a Roman culture that developed, a Gentile culture that developed in the church in Rome, and then the Jews were allowed to return. Tensions, we don't know for sure, but but we can see in this letter some tensions between um, questions around food sacrifice to idols and um, w- keeping one day is special. And, um, 
Paul uses the language of those whose faith is weak and those whose faith is strong. And uh, we need to spend a bit of time with that passage, more time than we've got here to really properly unpack that. Again, look at Bible Project's podcast. Um, but he he says, look, if you if you keep the Sabbath, that's good. Um, his, the stronger telling of it is that um, you're not limited to one day is probably how I'd frame it. Right. What yes. Paul isn't saying is Sabbath no longer matters. If anything, it's a doubling down on the fullness of what God has done. That there is a way of living with God that is charged with the knowledge of the completeness of what God has done in Christ. Um, and if anything, a Christian theology of Sabbath is uh, a call to live, to learn to live in light of the knowledge that um, in one very important fundamental sense, the work is finished. Uh, there is a kind of ease and rest and delight even in the most difficult circumstances we can allow ourselves to enjoy because um, Christ is risen, uh, because the Spirit is given, and because um, God will restore all things. Now, John, in this second part, we are going to move on to a conversation where we get to unpack a little bit about what that might look like and how we might specifically learn to live uh, into that. Yeah, good. You up for a, a part two sometime? Yeah, yeah, I'll come back and do a part two. Um, yeah, let's pick that up then. Yeah, appreciate it, awesome. man. Thanks for the the work you've done uh, on this, on the, the the preparation of the the article that you wrote. But I know you were the sort of editor in chief, were you, of the of the actual yeah. resource itself? Yeah, yeah. It's look, it's been a incredible uh, work of of collaboration and community. Actually, we've. Um, We've had um, an amazing illustrator, Ange Kogan, to work with. We've, we've got original art by Mary Spackapan, Melody Cooper's uh, photo essay is just glorious. Um, there's a Sabbath liturgy that uh, Sonia Luthwaite has written, a way of celebrating a Sabbath meal together. Um, Olivia describes how you can uh, discern the shape of Sabbath rest. And there's poetry, uh, Tim McKenzie on... on poetry um and and some other folk uh tamsin uh courtney dan writing about how they've learned it's something they learn three people very different circumstances they've all learned different ways um to to rest with the lord so it's been a really rich project not to mention the host of people who pick up the the punctuation mistakes and the this that and the other Uh, i know you do a lot of that yourself uh, well others who are dragged into it too hey (laughs) Oh, this were the fun unseen parts. Actually, yeah. my wife Yana did our copy editing for it, and she is uh, she's fearsome with the semicolon. So <laughs> I, I actually failed to mention your your two way interview. Um, so oh yeah, you yeah. and Yana uh, conversation that, that might come out a little bit more in, in part two, just yeah. because we are we are gonna we were both confessing to things yeah. we'd learned along the way um, with that. So Let's pick it up. Then. Look forward to it. Yeah, thanks, mate. Cool. See you then. 